0: This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live.
1: Good evening and welcome to The Twilight Show on Sunday evening. I hope you've all had a great week. This evening we'll be talking everything from routines, time management and the perpetual problem of managing workload, but also some ideas around uh, good and bad proxies for teaching and effective learning. How do we know that what we're doing is working and do we reflect and think about new things
0: this is teachers talk radio and you are listening live tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation download the podbean app and search teachers talk radio follow the hashtag tt radio tune in talk it out with teachers talk radio
1: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Sunday evening. I hope you've had a relaxing weekend. Thank you to those listeners who are already joining us on the show. Hello there, and thank you for tuning in live. Um, So unfortunately, my guests this evening had to cancel. So um, as you can imagine, this caused a little bit of anxiety yesterday afternoon, but um, I have done um, a bit of thinking and about what the sort of things that I've been going through um, with my teaching practice over the last week or so. And um, actually, there's, there's quite a lot that I could possibly, um, that I want to discuss and a few things that I've got to talk about. So hopefully you'll enjoy my musings on the subjects this evening. Um, and uh, you don't mind me uh, listening to me ramble for the next hour or so. So first of all, um, we got, I want to talk about routines. And it would be great to hear from those uh, listening what your routines are and how you fit everything into a week, because as we know um, teachers are notoriously busy we've always got things going on, and there's always more to do the to do the to do list never gets completely ticked off. so how do we manage this? How do we make sure that we fit everything in? coming into teaching later in my career um I think I'd established a pretty good routine from uh, t- and time management for myself anyway, because I was used to, you know, it, it, I wasn't coming out of the student lifestyle um, into teaching. I've I've had to um, balance a job with my home life for some time. I've obviously got various responsibilities outside of, of work as well. So my answer became to get up earlier <laughs> quite frankly um you know when you start to struggle to fit everything in and and i used to actually work shifts because i worked in hospitality so i was fortunate in that i used to work the same shifts every day so i i knew where i was going to be on a monday tuesday wednesday etc and i could plan everything else in around that but um working late or having to get up very early depending on the day of the week you're not always able to get into a a a very good routine and you do feel like you're just fitting everything in around work so i've got to say one of the things that teaching has has actually improved is in a way teaching has improved my work-life balance because i am working regular hours now every day and it's much more of the traditional nine-to-five routine so I have my weekends I have my evenings and that was a real treat for me at first um well it still is in fact because evenings were evenings and weekends were usually when I would work so that's actually been quite a pleasant change for me but I I have found very quickly as especially with teaching is the only way to fit everything into my day and this is just me speaking personally is to get up early in the morning and Beatrice's message in and she said uh she loves having a good morning and evening routine i get up early and get quite a bit of prep done batch cooking at the weekends yes Beatrice i hear you that is exactly what i do too um my morning this morning actually i was up at, i was up at half past 6 And I got all of my cooking done for the week, back to cook my meals, because I want eating healthily, I think, is incredibly important. And it's something that we often neglect. Um, Self-care, I think it's a big part of self-care is eating properly, fueling your body um, and it also saves an enormous amount of time through the week. There's there's nothing better than that feeling of of having finished work late, finished school late, you've had meetings and you've had a you've had a tough day, you've been up early, and knowing that all you've got to do when you get home is grab something out of the fridge, warm it through, and there's dinner made. Um, especially when you're feeding more than just yourself. So that is a big tip, um, if ever I can, if ever I would give tips I suppose it would be um you know batch cook at the weekends or or on an evening whenever it might be but try and get as much done as possible and it just makes sure that you're well set up for the week ahead um I also am an advocate of getting up early I never thought I would have said this but yes I I I think getting up early is, is a big part of it if for no other reason then you don't feel like you're rushing and stressed in the mornings um I do speak as a childless person. I realize that i I, I am married. Um, my husband and I it's just but it's just my husband and I. we don't have any children yet. so um, he doesn't share my routine either. I, I must say it's not like we're a, a, a get up early so that we can spend time together in the mornings. No, he stays in bed for as long as he possibly can. Um, but I very much find that I get up at five in the morning. in fact, I get up at quarter to five in the morning and then I will go to the gym, usually, at about six, but just having that hour first thing to, whether it's just to read, um, catch up on whatever, I wouldn't advocate working, but doing something for yourself, some people like to journal, some people like to meditate, um, some people might just want to stick a program on, or, or read a book, um, but that time to yourself first thing i think is very important um just to get you set up for the day um make your to-do list figure out what you've got going on and it also helps you plan what you've what you've then got to get done over the course of the day um when it comes to managing your workload that i think is we were talking about this on the show last week briefly, it's that it it is a a constant battle. You've always got lots to do. And especially if you've got a family at home, there's always that pull between what you've got to get done at work. But at the same time, you can't dedicate all the time you need to get everything done because you've got commitments at home. And quite frankly, we, we also do need time just to chill out and do our own thing teachers are incredibly conscientious and perfectionists as a rule. So the idea of leaving something unfinished is, is um, you know, it it's, it's, it's might cause a great deal of anxiety. But you've got I think one of the things we've got to learn and, and something I've definitely had to practise as an early career teacher is knowing when to stop and think, well, there's always going to be something else I, I have to get done. So it can wait until tomorrow, you know, so prioritize what you have to get done that cannot wait and everything else, if it can wait until tomorrow, sometimes you just do have to leave it till tomorrow so that you can prioritize your own health and well-being by having that downtime at home. Now, personally, I'm saying this, but I know for a fact that it actually makes me feel better if I come home and I know that I've got a lot of work to get done and I know I'm going to have a really busy day the next day, it actually helps me to sit uh, and, and do an hour or two's work in the evening, especially when you've got things like, you know, marking and, and assessments and reports. I've, I've actually just spent a couple hours this afternoon um, doing my uh, year eight reports because they're due um, for... Uh, the department review everyone you know we'll swap them as a department and read them read each other's and and just you know double check them before they go forward to slt um so i've spent a couple of hours this afternoon doing that i i try very hard not to work at the weekends so if i'm going to do work i'll, I'll try and keep it through the week so that i have my weekend that is my time but I will regularly choose to do work because that makes me feel much happier and more content and less anxious starting on a Monday morning, knowing that I've done everything I need to get done for the week. And sometimes there just aren't enough time, isn't enough hours in the day to get everything done. So what are your thoughts? What do you think about managing workload? What are your tips and tricks? Have you managed to come up with any um, time-saving ideas or how do you avoid that feeling of of, if it's possible to completely avoid it but how do you manage the stress and um the deadlines that come with a teacher workload let us know you can get in touch with the show you can call in via podbean um, or text in or tweet it would be great to hear from you all so that's uh that said um what else do i do with my my routine so my morning routine um like i say it starts quite early at quarter to five Going to the gym as well, I think um, it's not for everyone. Not everyone wants to go and lift weights or, or do a, a, a circuit training class or a spinning class or something like that. But movement is incredibly important. And January, of course, everybody's a bit more conscious about their health. They're thinking about their diets. Um, it's traditionally the month of self improvement in, in the health side of things. So I do, but but even if it's just getting out in the morning, walking the dogs. Um, if you don't have dogs, just going for a walk with you, on your own. Um, but just generally moving, you know, I think it's important to to find a slot in your day um, that allows you to get out in the fresh air as well, get a bit of sun on your face. is incredibly important when you are spending all day indoors, um, and especially as well. I keep saying, referring to the time of year, but. You've got the heating blazing all the time at school or hopefully you do you work in a nice warm building um and i think that actually can make you feel more tired and sluggish um breathing in recycled air and art- artificially heated air all day long when i get home um after school again i try and get as much work as i can done at the end of the day before i come home rather than bring work home so that it feels like there's more of a separation between work and home so i would rather stay a little bit later um and get a good bit of work done and as well you know it's quite a productive time when you finish that last lesson um whether you have a meeting after work you know perhaps that's going to take up your time and as an early career teacher there are a lot of um online seminars that we participate in, so whether that's um, directly through my training provider is Teach First and they will have regular online seminars, but also just general CPD, I'm trying to do as much as I possibly can, um, sort of under my own steam if you like, to develop my practice and learn as much as I I can, Unfortunately, a lot of that is online so you can be flexible in when you participate. So I try and do that at the end of the day um, when I'm feeling, you know, it, it allows you to sort of reflect on what's gone on and also think, get ready for the next day uh, while everything's still fresh in your mind. And then once you are home, you're home, and hopefully it's just a case then of relaxing. If not, you're all spending time with your family. So I'll get home. Um, I try and get home. Around five o'clock, uh, I do have a horse. I'm fortunate that I've uh, I've got a very I've got a hobby that I've done. I've done that all my life. I've ridden since I was five. I'm very fortunate to have my own horse, and when the weather's decent, um, it's I will I will do my best to get down as often as I can through the week, and uh, I find that great therapy. So that's a, a another activity that I enjoy doing personally. Um, but it also is, is just lovely switch off time as well. Again, you get out in the fresh air, um, you don't have to talk to anyone. Um, I do talk to my horse. You might think that's strange. I, I don't care, really, because I, I, you know, I think he's one of the best listeners <laughs> that I've got in my life. And but you don't, it's, it's nice just to be able to completely empty your mind of everything apart from what you are doing at, at that moment. It's very Centering um, to, to have something like that to at the end of the day. Also, the light, nights are getting lighter now, so it makes it a much more pleasant experience too. But then I've also got my dogs to walk, and um, we then have dinner and uh, just try. I'm trying not to watch too much TV either, so I'm trying to keep things productive. Whether that's reading a book or uh, even reading teaching blogs, you know, I do actually find that just generally interesting I enjoy that even though it's technically work related I'm quite happy to just to do that at the end of the day because at least I feel like it's it's a relaxing um activity but you still feel like you're achieving something and you still feel like you, you're working towards a goal rather than you know sometimes I love watching films, I love watch especially, you know, movies and certain TV shows, but sometimes you can get you just feel like, you know, you're wasting when you tot up how much time you're actually spending watching TV, it can be a little bit scary when you get to the end of the week and you think, wow, I've actually spent quite a bit of time on Netflix. Um and it's a bit like falling down the hole uh, of social media as well. You can get on Twitter and 45 minutes later you're still scrolling through your feed and you think what else could i have been doing with this time that possibly would have been, been a bit more productive so again but but those i think i think everyone would relate to that as well so again let us know what what you do what's your way of relax, relaxing in the evenings what do you find helps you maintain that i that sense of a work-life balance um or at least makes you feel like you've you know you've you've managed to do something just for yourself outside of work text in call in it'd be great to hear from you so um as i said earlier uh, i was supposed to have um a guest on the show to talk about uh, mentoring for early career teachers what works well and how we can uh, best support early career teachers but also the mentors who are doing such a great job giving up their time to help us become uh, the great teachers that we hope to become um so unfortunately that's gonna have to wait for another day but in my um, sort of anxious state of thinking about what I could talk about in the show this evening, I turned to Teacher Tap because um, great app. I do my best to, to do it every day. I'm, I'm on a, um, a bit of a streak at the moment. I've got something like 100, 115 days in a row. So it, it does become quite competitive to, to keep that streak going. So um, I highly recommend it. There's some There's some great stuff on there. And the Results of the uh, surveys are always really interesting to look through, but I really like the fact that they recommend you a blog um, or some uh, article that is relevant or pertinent to something that's going on in the uh, education community. And I do have a bad habit, though, of simply adding them to my reading list rather than reading them then and there. You know, the idea is it's supposed to be a little bit of CPD every day, but I have gotten into the habit of just firing them away and go, you know, I'll read those at another time. Well, there's probably about 20 articles on my reading list at the moment and another time has not yet arrived. So I thought I would turn to my reading list for some inspiration. And I found a really interesting article, which I'm going to discuss with you this evening, um, which was uh, a blog called Dr. C's Science Classroom and um, the title of the blog was Poor Proxies for Effective Teaching, so I was, this this appealed to me because as an early career teacher um, you're constantly questioning yourself um, about if what you're doing is working, oh Beatrice has just texted in and said getting help with certain household duties, yes it is important, um, very helpful to have a, a significant other or at least you know a willing child who is uh, prepared to help you with the housework, that makes a huge difference. Although in terms of equality, we should be striving for that to be um, a gender neutral role within the household. I am very much of that opinion. Okay. So um, thanks for messaging in. It's great to hear from the guests that are listening live. Thank you for supporting the show. So the blog was, uh, like I say, it's called poor proxies for effective teaching. So I was reading through this and I was thinking, you know, what does that mean? You know, what what um, how how do we know if our teaching is effective and are we doing things that we think are effective? But how do we know they're actually working? Um, and Dr. C was talking about he came up with a list of um, things that teachers tend to do which make them seem or make them feel like they're being effective, but actually do not contribute to effectiveness in the classroom. So I'm gonna go through this list and have a, a, a muse and a discuss uh, with myself, and hopefully um, we'll get some callers in as well, on what you think of, these, of this list of five poor proxies for effective learning that Dr. C has um, collated. So here we go. The first one is staying late every evening, and also sending work emails late at night, which this ties into what we were just talking about, routines and managing workload, I think. Um, this is something that I feel myself doing and feeling guilty if I leave the building by a, before a certain time. Um, in my previous school, when I was training, there seemed to be a culture that staff were routinely still working um planning for the next day in the staff room or in their classroom until maybe half five six o'clock in the evening and so there was a um nobody ever said anything to me but i think just when when you are quite a conscientious person you you do tend to look at what everybody else does and especially when you're learning the ropes and what it is to be a teacher and what's expected of you as a teacher you you tend to watch what other people are doing and, and mimic that as being um, a demonstration of, of your succeeding, you know, you're, you're progressing, uh, you're doing well. And staying late was definitely one of the things that happened, seemed to be um, prevalent in that school. Whereas the school that I'm actually teaching in now, um, they routinely, most of the teachers will be out of the door by half past three, quarter to four, which is quite soon after the, the teaching day ends at three. Um, many of these ones have, these teachers have young children, which probably means that they're leaving slightly earlier than you might expect, but they have every intention of them working, um, late into the night after the, after the kids have gone to bed and after they've had their family time. So again, that might simply be, um, their way of balancing their, their working life and their family life. They, they leave the school building promptly after the end of the day they get that time to spend with their family and then they um work later on into the evening and i am really grateful as well that there does in this school that i'm 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 in there does seem to be um a reluctance to email after the end of the working day as well so i don't think i've ever had an email from a colleague after five o'clock in the evening unless it's been some kind of notification pertaining to uh, a change uh, because of the uh, of the COVID situation. Um, but that's purely been for information. It's not required you to actually do anything. It's just to make you aware of, of what's going to be happening. So is staying late every evening a proxy for effective teaching? And Dr. C argues that it isn't. And I, and I would agree um, absolutely, absolutely that we tend to feel that the longer we work, the the more effective we're being. Or um, is it more because you feel like you have to be seen to be working up to a certain time in the evening so that you are not thought of as being in any way slacking at your job or, or you're not putting the, the effort in? And I think it, it's quite a corporate attitude that, that there is almost a sense of, like... There's there's a certain glory um, or status attached to people who are always the last ones to leave. This idea of being first one in and last one out, and it's not healthy. And various studies have shown that the just because you know the, there's is it the um, where the the effectiveness of your work trails off because you get tired and just because you're putting. A huge amount of time in doesn't necessarily mean that what you're producing is productive. And it's the Pareto principle, I think, isn't it? Where um, 80% of the outcome is actually achieved from 20% of the input and anything beyond that. And it's the law of diminishing returns because you can only possibly be, you know, perfectly focused on a particular task for a finite period of time so um we've got i think what dr c is saying is we've got to cut ourselves a bit of slack here and and it it might be difficult when your school culture demands this but staying late and and also sending emails late into the evening is does not make you a better teacher um second marking books all the time um he says there needs to be a purpose to marking work uh but the the issue then becomes what your school policy is. Um, I know our school policy is that we've, it's sort of in a a, a bit of flux at the moment because we're we're changing, um, trying to change the way we do things to make things more effective, which is fantastic to see that the school is prepared to work with teachers on that level and respond to what they feel is an effective amount of marking and, and take that into account. So we're working on the basis of once a fortnight um we have a marked piece of work completed in the students books um and that also has to be marked for literacy so there has to be um literacy feedback and uh, things like spelling punctuation and grammar but also a piece of constructive feedback that students must then act upon and do the green pen work on the next lesson or as as soon as possible after the assessed piece has been completed but my mentor who's um, a member of SLT was talking about an experience he'd had at a previous school where there was this one particular teacher who was so conscientious about marking books that she was marking every last piece of work that the students completed in their books and there was a question of how she was possibly fitting this in but because she was getting it done the um, senior leadership of the school were saying, well, if she can do it, why can't everybody else? And so there was this argument that she was essentially setting the department up um, for a fall because she was doing what she thought was the best for her students. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm sure that the students appreciated the effort that, that this teacher was putting into marking her, her books. But obviously, other teachers were not able to keep up with that pace. And one of the things that is that is, is, has become very apparent to me is that uh, one of the focuses of our department, and I'm sure this is the case for a number of schools, is that whatever is in one student's book needs to be apparent in every student's book. So whatever the marking policy is in the school, every teacher needs to follow it. And so... Um, when it comes to the book scrutinies it doesn't matter which class you take a book from you will be able to see a pattern in the way that those books are being marked and the feedback that the students are receiving and also how they're then responding to that feedback but i think i've seen there are certain shall we say uh more traditional teachers who like incorporating the tick and flick approach in their student's book um just as a way of of showing that they have seen the work and that they have acknowledged that the student has put the effort in which i agree with i think i think that's nice and and i do understand that as as a student you would want your teachers you want to know the reassurance that your teachers are reading the work and it gives you that sense of purpose because you know that your work is going to be read and looked at and your teacher is going to give you feedback and is going to help you improve. But the practical um, side of that for the teachers is can you physically mark every single piece of work that every single student does when you have got over 100 students that you are seeing week in, week out? And the answer is, it's. I just don't think it's possible. Um, or indeed, can you possibly give the the students truly effective feedback when you have got so many students to give that level of feedback to. So what Dr C is saying here is that marking books, whilst it is important, it doesn't necessarily mean that it is a proxy of effective teaching. Um, Number three is asking lots of questions in lessons Um, and I know that I am guilty of this uh, because in an effort to practice my questioning I do feel at the end of some lessons that I have peppered my students with question after question and I do reflect on that and think mm, was that really the best thing to do and I was actually having a conversation with my mentor about this on Friday in that he'd observed me um in a lesson that day and I was asking him to give me feedback specifically on my questioning to to ascertain if it if it had been effective um, and one of the things that came of came out of that conversation was I don't give the students adequate thinking time. I think when I was uh, in my training year, I, I can't remember exactly at what point I, I came across this little tidbit of advice. But students need up to a minute's thinking time to be able to process and uh, you know, process what you've asked them and come up with an answer to your question and the average teacher does not wait a minute <laughs> to give that uh, to give the necessary thinking time and when you're standing in front of a class who are all staring at you silently after you've asked them a question a minute seems like an eternity and I think it's just that those nerves if you think, well, they're not answering the question, therefore my question must have been wrong or they mustn't have understood what I, was, what I was saying or what I was asking them to do. And so you ask them another question or you rephrase what you've said and then you find yourself, you think, actually, I've just given them the answer, haven't I? Because in an, in an attempt to lead them to the answer, you end up giving it to them or you do exactly that, you lead them to the answer that you want. And that goes against the principles of metacognition that the um, education endowment foundation are really encouraging teachers to get to, to utilize in the classroom because in order for learning to take place students have to think hard about what is being asked of them and so just because you've asked a question and they're not able to immediately answer it that does not mean that your question is inappropriate or was was wrong in any way. It just means that they require that time to formulate an answer, which actually ties into the metacognitive approach that we should be taking to our lessons, because the thinking process, even though it's completely invisible and feels painfully long when you're standing in front of that Um, echoing classroom and tumbleweeds um, floating across the floor that means that effective learning is potentially taking place and of course students need to demonstrate that in their answers but that's then how you know if your question has been effective it's not how long it takes them to answer that we need to worry about but also sometimes um, what dr c has been saying in their blog here is that It's about the quality of the questions, not how many questions you ask them and making sure that the questions actually stimulate their thoughts and their their thinking processes rather than simply asking them to recall information. And whilst retrieval practice is obviously very important, the the purpose of retrieval is to get them to to join the dots and, and make the connections between what you're asking them in today's lesson with what they learned in previous lessons and in making those connections, that is how they embed that knowledge and that learning into their minds. But simply asking them to remember something, um, facts and figures from the previous lesson, is not a true probe of understanding. Um, The next one is um, using words like retrieval and cognitive load, but not actually understanding or implementing them properly. So the risk here is that um, in thinking that we're doing the right thing with regular retrieval practice and avoiding cognitive load, what we're actually doing is establishing practices in our classroom that have the opposite effect of what we're hoping they achieve. So what this and this ties into the next point they make which is about finding great strategies that you've encountered on uh, in books or in on Twitter for instance, and implementing them in the classroom but then not always reflecting on whether or not that was a good thing to do and that is incredibly important so th- i think those two the ideas tie in tie in quite well together um in that i know for myself you know i have i spend an inordinate amount of time on twitter at the moment and it's been an absolutely fantastic tool for me to find ideas for my practice um, and there's certain people on Twitter who are just so generous with their resources and clearly putting a great deal of time behind the scenes into um, putting together um, PowerPoint, sorry, PowerPoint presentations and handouts and um, strategies for their lessons and sharing things that have worked really well for them that you see it and you go, you know what, that looks fantastic. I want to do that in my class with my class without fully considering if that is the best strategy for the class of students that is going to be sat in front of you. And I suppose there's no greater teacher for an early career teacher than trying something, thinking it's going to be awesome, and then it falls flat. <laughs> it's certainly a great um, exercise in reflecting on, well, why didn't that work? Um, but obviously at the time, it's terrifying when especially if you've put a lot of time and effort um, and got very excited about delivering this particular strategy and then it doesn't work the way you were hoping it would. And I know that um, from, from personal experience that often the, the worst part about that is that you, you I suppose you, um, you're so focused on delivering the lesson you've planned that you're then unable to react to the room and although that, that there is there is there is no way of, of teaching that to a new teacher, I think that comes purely from experience, that ability to to think on your feet and go, well, you know what, this isn't working. I need to shift and and do something different. But when you've planned something very specifically to try with a class, you you kind of you've got that uh, desire to sort of slog through it and I will. I will finish this. I will do the lesson that I've planned, and and you get to the end of it, and you think, well, actually, was there really any point in pursuing that when it clearly wasn't working? And then all you've done is is you found a strategy that you're never going to use again. You haven't actually you know further forward at that point other than the the learning experience of why it did, of of what, the, the fact that it didn't work. But I suppose you can turn that round and think that if you can reflect on that and if you can actually establish a reason why that didn't work um, with that particular class, doesn't necessarily mean that you can't then use it with another group of students. And bearing in mind what works really well for one class is not necessarily going to be as effective for another or something that doesn't get off the ground with, with one of your groups of students with a few tweaks might actually work really well for another. And I think I've I've had this experience with, um, I teach a, a set four year nine class, and they are very, um, they, they, they re- I, I really like them. I really like teaching them and, and verbally, they can give some fantastic feedback, but they do really struggle with their written work. And I'm trying very hard not to lead them Um, into writing in a certain way um, and giving them too much in terms of sentence starters and and writing structures I'm trying to get them to to think about what they're writing and, and why they're writing it down so that they can put their own personality and they can develop their own writing styles but you do have to hold their hand a little bit so that they can have the confidence to do that. And you've still, you've, you've still got to teach them how to start sentences, um, whether that's the use of prepositional phrases or um, discourse markers um, and sort of some key phrases that need to be in their answer so that they can prove that they've answered the question without it becoming too formulaic. And I personally have found that a really big challenge. Um, because I suppose the the default mode is you, you see them struggling and you really want to help them and you've got to hold back and go, you know, I, I need to give them the tools to do the work themselves rather than me doing it all for them. Um, so yeah, to get to get back to, to what we were saying about the the proxies for effective teaching, allowing students to make mistakes is not something that we should be afraid of and um just because if if you're going to use a strategy if you're going to use um, a recommendation from another teacher another practitioner then you need to be prepared to to really reflect on how effective it has been in your classroom if you are going to then use it again And then finally, I I said there was five points in this um, article, but it's actually six, um, is setting lots of homework. Um, Is this a poor proxy of effective um, teaching? And Dr. C, in his article, argues that it is. Now, again, there might be school policies that dictate how much homework students have to receive in certain subjects, especially core subjects like English, maths and science. I know our, our school certainly does, There is, uh, depending on the year group, there is a certain number of homeworks that the students are expected to complete each week or every fortnight, again, like I say, depending on what year group they are. Um, but something I learned very quickly and to my own, at my own expense was to n- never set homework that um, relies upon the student completing that homework so that you can continue with your sequence of learning. Sorry, I didn't explain that very well. So um, if you want to, I don't know, say, say I'll use English as an example, seeing as that is my subject. Um, If you want to do work on a particular chapter of a novel, I have been advised, and I um, have learned this from experience, and I would not do this, is do not set the class homework to read the chapter of the novel prior to the lesson that you then intend to teach, because you are relying entirely on every single student in that class, completing the homework to read that chapter before you can then progress with your teaching. I suppose if you are teaching A-level, then there is an expectation that the students will be proactive enough and dedicated enough to um, be trusted to go away and do some independent learning in that way but certainly I mean I, th- I think with my year, my year sevens are absolutely beautiful and I love them to bits and I think probably 99% of them if I said right you need to read that chapter in readiness for next lesson they would do it but you can't use that as a rule with every class that you teach and Emma has um text in. hello emma thanks for listening um she said definitely not she agrees with me thank you very much that's very reassuring um but also setting lots and lots of homework um to support you, you think you might be thinking the more homework you set the more they're learning at home um it's getting them to really think around the subject and you can um really expand the um the sort of the you know breadth and depth of their learning outside of the classroom because there just isn't enough time to do absolutely everything you might want to get done but you obviously run the risk of overwhelming your students and even the really conscientious ones who will do everything I suppose that ties into that idea of if the if a, if a teacher thinks that a good um, proxy for effective teaching is to work late every evening and work at the weekends and constantly work, work, work as much as they possibly can. Then there is, they do run the risk of expecting that same work ethic and attitude from their students. And obviously, we have to remember that our students have several other subjects that they are also um, working on and completing homework for. So I think I've come to the opinion. And and I might I, I reserve the right to change this, obviously it's early days, but I think I've come to the opinion that I probably err on the side of giving less homework rather than more, because what you're doing in your lesson should form the core, the fact you know, the absolute necessity of what your students need to learn. And homework should just be a supporting element of that. So, in keeping with my school policy i will set the um the number of homeworks that i am expected to set my students but i try and make them a little bit more of a of of an of an exploration for them something that will support what they're doing in the classroom and allow them to put their own um personality and a little bit of creativity into it rather than a very formulaic prescriptive go away and do this this and this and granite has texted in and said more school work less homework great idea is that sarcasm i don't know but um i mean is it, when you put it like that it seems really obvious yes get them to work more at school and then they'll have less homework to do <laughs> granite says no it's not okay that's great thank you um no it's not sarcasm excellent yeah but yeah i suppose it's then it's about it becomes about you as a teacher prioritizing your lessons and and again this is something i find very difficult to do At the moment because you're given a medium-term plan or hopefully you're given a medium-term plan and that breaks down ideally what you should be covering with your students every week and sometimes i've i've got anxious and nervous because i simply haven't managed to get through it all and you get to the end of the week and you think i've probably only covered about half of this week's work but it's because when you look back on it and you think but actually in that lesson we didn't get everything done but we had a really positive discussion about the text or we explored some ideas that the students volunteered themselves and i really wanted them you know they were clearly thinking deeply about the work and i wanted to encourage that so i didn't just want to go okay great idea guys but i'm sorry but we really have to get on moving on um so i suppose that must be an um a, a, a proxy of effective teaching is if your students are responding to the work and they're engaging really well and they're clearly developing their thoughts and ideas and you're able to get some really productive work out of them then that is more that well that is better for their learning and also your feedback their feedback to you as their teacher surely that is better than simply getting through all of the work so i suppose that's something that um i might add to dr c's list as a number seven for poor proxies of effective teaching is that focus on simply bashing through everything you need to cover in a lesson and not giving your students time to think about um what it is they're learning and respond to it and i suppose i think for especially for um well, I was going to say, especially for higher higher achievers, but I don't I'm going to I'm going to retract that because I don't necessarily think that's the case. Um, it, it gives them the I think that it's much more um, motivational for, for students to feel like they're if they feel like they really understand something, to give them the opportunity to explore that and um, give their ideas and, and talk about it with with their peers is is more effective than simply having them work through you know step by step by step everything that needs to be covered according to the medium term plan um and i suppose that feeds back to what we were just saying is that then your role as a teacher becomes prioritizing what they absolutely have to learn what they the 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 real key ideas that you want them to pick up and you want them to cover and then everything else is a bonus and if you can fit something else in, great. If not, then at least you've covered the absolute necessities. And fact, you know, because I think something that I'm trying to do as um, as as an early career teacher, still still very much learning the ropes, is factor in time in my lessons. It's not just about getting through all of the the content, but also giving them time to respond. Um, and helping them improve their writing, improve their vocabulary, um, and, and practice the skills that they need to improve their writing and their reading responses to texts. Not just spend all the time talking about the text that you're covering or talking about the topic, and then not actually helping them to put that down on the page. Because obviously every, every sub, some subjects are going to be very different, but obviously in English how we assess our students is written work in the vast majority and so they they need time to help them develop those skills for writing and that does have to be explicitly taught alongside explicitly teaching them the text that you need them to respond to so i found that article very uh, helpful, interesting, and also reassuring that something that you feel you should be doing doesn't necessarily equate to you being a better teacher for, um, you know, for, for employing that particular strategy. So that's helped me. And um, I hope my uh, talking through that wasn't too rambling. And and I hope that, um, you know, I like to think I've, I've made some reasonable points there. But obviously your feedback means a lot and um, it would be great to hear those more experienced than myself, what do you think about it? And uh, what would be um, your uh, two pennies worth on what makes a good proxy for effective teaching and a bad one? Let me know. So we're gonna take a break. Um, I'm going to wet my whistle and have a drink. Uh, tea, of course, nothing, nothing too strong just yet. It is a school night and um, we'll get the advert and the news playing now and then we'll come back and continue our discussion on effective teaching and learning
2: are you looking to take your phonics practice forward then Little Wandle Letters and Sounds Revised is the program for you created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics Little Wandle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind the programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewonderlettersandsounds.org.uk Teachers Talk Radio is delighted to support Winston's Wish, the UK's childhood bereavement charity. Winston's Wish supports children and their families after the death of a parent or sibling. They provide emotional and practical bereavement support. Expert teams also provide online resources, specialist publications and training for professionals. Find out more about Winston's Wish and pledge your support at www.winstonswish.org.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
3: Saturday, the 15th of January, is the deadline for applications to primary schools in England. Parents with children due to start school in September 2022 must go through their local authority to apply for places at their chosen primary schools. In figures released on the Department for Education's blog, Education Hub, it is highlighted that 91.8% of families were offered their first choice of primary school in 2021, with 98% receiving offers from one of their top three choices. The website details advice on how to access applications and information on how places are allocated, in line with school's admissions criteria. In Northern Ireland, a profoundly deaf pupil from County Antrim is campaigning for a sign language act after being made aware of how other people in the hearing loss community are supported outside of the province. Alanis Miller is currently studying A-levels in life and health sciences and mathematics. She hopes to study health and social care and social policy at university and has applied to Ulster University and the University of Edinburgh. During the application process, Alanis was made aware that it was not guaranteed that a British Sign Language interpreter would be available for lectures at Ulster University. However, if Alanis was to study in Edinburgh, an interpreter would be guaranteed due to the Sign Language Act in Scotland. Alanis has now begun a campaign appealing for the introduction of a Sign Language Act in Northern Ireland. In a letter to the Lord Mayor of Belfast City Council, she stated that it was important to promote access, and that no deaf student should experience the frustrations of being held responsible for their own support needs. The campaign has been praised by the Lord Mayor of Belfast City Council and the head teacher of the secondary school Alanis attends. The Evening Standard reports that hundreds of thousands of pupils will be guaranteed careers advice from the age of 11 if a proposed new law continues to be backed by MPs. The Education Careers Guidance in Schools Bill has cleared the House of Commons with an unopposed third reading and will now undergo further scrutiny in the House of Lords. If the bill is successful, all schools across England will have to guarantee careers guidance to pupils from year seven, including those who attend academies. In an article on the website Monitor, Emily Marakthor writes about the impact of the pandemic on school children in Uganda. Many children have only just returned to classrooms this month although relief is expressed by many that this long-awaited return is now a reality. Whilst there is no telling if the return to schools will be disrupted further, the majority are happy to be back, although Uganda's education leaders state that they will continue to ask, what can we do to improve educational opportunities for our children? This has been your Teachers Talk Radio weekend news.
0: This is Two Minute Tech with
4: Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Last week I looked at some free apps for the New Year's resolution of getting fit and healthy. This week I tried a few things out and I'm ready to present my findings. First up, the free version of My Fitness Pal. There's an old age saying that 90% of fitness is in the kitchen. If you want to get in shape, you have to have the right building blocks to do so. With this in mind, I set out to log everything I ate and for good measure, I even broke out the scales to get portion sizes correct. My first discovery is that 45 grams of granola the recommended portion size is nothing like the portion i've been having in fact i'd go as far as to say that it wouldn't even fill a hamster realizing i was eating three or four times the portion i was supposed to has made me think about my other choices so i ate the recommended 45 grams and logged the milk i was surprised how easy it was to find foods in the search feature even supermarket brands the app gave me a calorie target based on my weight height and goal i'd chosen as I had a coffee, I decided to map out my day and stick to it to stop myself cheating. After a week of tracking, I reviewed what I was eating. I could see where most fat and calories were coming from, allowing me to consider, I'm not promising anything, where I could make changes. The question you want me to answer is, did I lose weight? The answer is yes, but I think my next experiment had the most impact on that. Over the break, I managed to fall asleep watching TV and woke up to an infomercial on a DVD box set to get fit in 60 days. 60 days sounds quite quick, but thinking about it, it's practically two months. However, I did a bit of research and found a program that didn't need any weights or equipment, just floor space. I picked up the Insanity Workout series for around £35 on Amazon. My thinking being, you'd pay that for a month in a gym and I get to keep this forever. Now, I will confess, I do consider myself quite fit already. However, nothing could have prepared me for this. With Shaun T, the amazing energy coach screaming dig deeper and about 20 fitness professionals bouncing around what looked like a high school gym. I've spent 45 minutes a day for the past six days jumping, stretching, squatting and definitely sweating. Being honest I was ready to tap out after the warm-up on day one. I'm not gonna lie I used muscles I don't think I've ever used. By day three even sitting still and lying in bed at night hurt. After pushing through today on day seven a rest day the pain has subsided and I feel great. I just have one word of warning if you're looking to do something like this the long walk from the car park with load books may be impossible in the first week read the disclaimer this is not to be taken lightly in conclusion i can't see myself keeping up my fitness pal once the novelty wears off but it has made me look at my diet a dvd fitness program for me is great finding 45 minutes is not always easy and if you want to try before you buy if you're a member of netflix or prime already there's programs on there which are already in your subscription next week we're back to tech for teaching i'm steve woods and this was two minute tech two minute tech with steve woods your tech Briefing on Teachers Talk Radio.
1: Hello and welcome back to The Twilight Show. I hope you've enjoyed everything that we've been talking about so far. or oh, just listening to Steve Woods' um tech briefing there talking about my fitness pal. Oh, I totally agree. It's fantastic. It's a fantastic tool. But if you are in any way inclined to become obsessive about things, I do not recommend it because honestly, that thing ran my life. Um, But it it is really effective um, if you want to keep an eye on what you're eating. But you know, you've got to be really careful that you don't become, you know, everything when you find yourself weighing out rice, you've got to start questioning, am I entirely sane at this point? So yeah, use with caution is all I would say. Okay, back to the topic of tonight's show. We've been talking about, uh, well, we've had a bit of a ramble at the beginning of the show about time management routines. um, Can teachers truly ever manage their workload? And we then moved on to the idea of effective teaching and learning. What does effective teaching look like we've talked about what it doesn't look like and i've chipped in a little bit about my very uh, limited experience obviously so far about what i have found has worked and has not worked for me as as a early career teacher so i'm just going to turn to twitter for a bit of feedback now so we popped a tweet out um about half an hour ago which was which is more important teaching or learning And we've had some responses on Twitter, so let's have a look through those. We've got um, Charlotte Davis on Twitter saying, it's important that we fully develop um, efficient learners for the 21st century. We need flexible intelligence that can learn whatever is needed for the jobs of the future. I actually think that's a really good point. Um, I know it's been talked about a bit. I haven't really done um, a great deal of research into this, but there is a question mark over whether the curriculum that many schools are still following, the traditional curriculum, if you like, is that really setting our students up in the best possible way for their future um, in a 21st century world? And is, you, know, are, are, we, are we still focusing on more what, what have become sort of traditional, aspects of teaching um traditional texts in english for instance and uh, traditional subjects are they actually the subjects that are going to give our students now the best possible chances in the future and i think there is an argument that possibly not i think you know we we um we we call them generation z don't we or generation z um, I think is the is the proper term, and it's something that has struck me going into the classroom. Um, is that I'm technically I think I'm a millennial, and because of when I was born, um, which doesn't seem right considering you know I was well on my way you know well into adolescence by the time the millennium actually came round. But according to the way this has all been designated, I am a millennial, and then the the students I'm teaching are Generation Z. And I have found a really profound difference in attitude and knowledge of the world than I was expecting. And I actually feel a lot more distant in terms of cultural awareness and um, sort of approaches to life with my students than I do for like my mum's generation. Um, And I think we are seeing the biggest shift, the biggest gap between sort of the you know if you like the teachers who are teaching these students um and the students themselves you know in terms of because I was I would think I was a few shows ago I was talking about the idea I had I had to tell my year eights what a camera was as in they they didn't know anything about having a camera that that wasn't integrated into their phone that you actually had to take to a shop and have your photos developed and they were printed out and given to you in a packet. And that was like, what, you know, that was like a moment from the olden days as far as, as far as they were concerned. Um, so are the, you know, when you've got students who are probably going to be doing much more, I don't know, say, you know, are they going to be doing, um, roles that are much more involved in technology, um, space exploration um you know think i don't even to be honest i don't even know the the proper terms for for the type of careers these these students might end up doing but what i what i do believe is that the careers that these students that you know this generation of students now are probably going to be very different to the careers that i was prepared for when i was at school so yeah definitely think that our teaching probably needs to shift so that it's more representative of the future that we're heading into rather than what has happened in the past so what do you think about that um do we do we need is is that is that the difference between traditional and progressive is that what trad and prog means please tell me because i'm still a bit ignorant I i still feel like i do not fully understand the difference between a trad and a prog so if anyone can enlighten me i would really appreciate that um yeah emma's messaging again said when we were talking about what uh, the difference between sorry what's more important teaching or learning emma says has anyone said what's the difference um the answer is no nobody has said what is the difference um there is some opinions on what what is more important for for, for which group so um mrs noreen khalid on twitter says teaching is more important for teachers and learning more important for pupils, which I suppose on, you know, on the surface sounds like common sense, but are teachers not also lifelong learners? Should we also be constantly learning about our subject, about the world around us, so that we can give the best learning experience to the students that are sat in front of us? I would argue that we should be. Um, And one of the questions I... One of the prompts I've actually given myself for, for the show this evening is: um, Does we were talking earlier about reflecting on things that work, um, and is there an uh, an inverse ratio between being a reflective teacher and being an experienced teacher? Um, I'm not even sure I've, I've probably not expressed that in a very very clear way, but I suppose is is the relationship between um, you know if if is being reflective and constantly thinking about does this work am i doing the best possible job as a teacher could i be doing anything better does that attitude diminish the more experienced you become as an educator um because i would i suppose once you have trialed and errored or and you have found things that do work is there a tendency amongst teachers to think right i've, I've found it i have i have found the key to making sure that my students learn what they need to learn. And so now I'm going to stick with that and I'm not going to change. Obviously that attitude could form a barrier to being that perpetual learner um, that is surely the best way to go through life. You know, you you can't, you don't hit a certain age and think, right, that's it. I've I've learned everything I need to learn. And if students had that attitude when they left school at at 18, well, I've learned everything I need to learn now. So that's it. that would be that would be terrible. That would be really detrimental for their future. So surely if we're going to encourage our students to continually learn, never stop learning, always be open to new ideas, then we need to adopt that same attitude as teachers as well. Um, Dorian Brown says teaching is most important because the quality of teaching is intrinsically linked to the quality of learning. Um, yes. I would agree with that. I think um, that I suppose you need to be you need to have effective teaching in order to have effective learning. But I suppose at what point do you stop having a teacher? and what point do you become your own teacher and you have to proactively go out and seek knowledge when you haven't got somebody necessarily there breaking it down for you and helping you process it and, and learn? Um, Zachariah Hjalmar on Twitter says um, he's, he's put a quote here that says, "Learning is a lifetime process. Furthermore, teaching certainly cannot be done without learned knowledge." Um, and that actually reminded me of of what's um, what we're going through in the early career framework at the moment. Is that we we have to have that sequence of learning, and, and students need to have a foundation of knowledge in order to build on that and progressively become better learners and more knowledgeable and able to have that, as we were saying before, that metacognition where they then make connections between what they're learning so that it becomes embedded and and it's it's effective. It's effective it then becomes effective learning. Um, Emma said she thinks that twenty first century skills is a nonsense. Schools can't prepare kids to work for NASA other than giving them a solid grounding in maths. Nor can they prepare them for working as a games console design, designer without the same. Stick to the basics. Everything else is fluff. I love that. I love that description of of fluff. That's brilliant. Yeah, I say the same thing. um Yeah, yeah. There, there is. A, yeah, I, I I do agree. And and. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of spouting ideas here, but I am, I am hoping for this kind of discourse in that, you know, tell me why I'm wrong, because I am still learning, and I, I have opinions at the moment, but I think if the opinions you have now are the same opinions that you have in 12 months' time, then um, you'd like to think either, um, you know, you'd like to think that it's because you've explored all the options and you still have the same opinion, um, but if you haven't done that, then you need to have that, that attitude and be prepared to change your opinion um yeah so i agree that I, I do firmly believe that you need a solid basis in maths you need a solid grounding in english there's a reason why the core subjects are what they are because they have a multitude of skills that prepare you for the future uh, and and are um what's the word you know you are they 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 prepare you for a multitude of things not just the specific t- subject that you're learning um i suppose my my musing my my the question i was asking was more are there subjects um that possibly we could do without on the curriculum to replace them with other subjects that might be more progressive i don't know if that's the right word or it might be more um appropriate for something that they're going to do in the future i.e., if if we're looking at, say, technology, ought we to still be focusing on, um, you know, maybe the, the there is a, a demand for things like games design, um, app design, stu- you know, sub- subjects like that, or at least an exposure to um, that type of... Th- that type of work so that they get you know students get a flavor i mean i mean yeah the, the idea of being an app designer or a games console designer when i was uh, well maybe games consoles because you know they've been around a while but something like designing an app that the idea of doing that for a career was complete you know did not exist when i was at school but now student you know we're, we're dealing with the generation of students that have never not had the internet they've all, you know, and they've probably always had smartphones, um, or at least knowledge of smartphones, um, access to them via their parents, if nothing else. So, um, should we maybe be incorporating more of these types of skills into the curriculum? What do you think? Um, Emma says she's, you know, Latin teacher here, you know, obviously, yeah, (laughs) don't ditch me. Absolutely. No, I, I have a very healthy respect for, um, you know, as, as an English teacher, I have a very healthy respect for the sort of more what we what we think of as the, you know, the classic subjects. Um, I think it would be a crying shame if we lost those completely. And, and one of the things I love about teaching English is that aspect of where your language comes from. I love learning about the etymology of words and how our language developed. And to latin would for example is an enormous part of that and we wouldn't have the english language without latin so saying that it's now archaic um and and you know who needs to know latin well actually i think there's a lot to be learned um and and the history and the context of it but also it's the skills that come with studying a language and how you apply it to your life and i think that's maybe what we perhaps that's what we need to focus on, is helping students see the relevance of what we're teaching them, not just saying, well, it's on the curriculum and so we've got to deliver it. Um, And and that has got to be an aspect of making learning and teaching more effective because it's going to be much more valuable and enjoyable if students actually understand why they need to know these things and how it's going to help them. Um, So thank you very much, Twitter, for your support this evening. Um, So... Oh, look at that. I mean, considering I was actually a bit concerned about getting through an hour and a half on my own this evening, I'm actually now worried that I'm not going to get through everything I wanted to talk about. So, um, yeah, so we were just talking about a blog, which, by the way, if anybody wants to have a look at it, it's drcastellino.wordpress.com. That's the one we were looking at before, which was about um, poor proxies for effective teaching. But he cites, sorry, I do apologize. I don't know if it's If it is a he they let's say cite um a another article uh well it's actually a a presentation from the from durham university that was given by robert Coe in october 2015 so a few years old now but i I do still think you know it's it's incredibly relevant to what we've been talking about this evening um and this was a, a presentation about what makes great teaching so some of the ideas that came out of this was um we've got a slide here on this presentation which is poor proxies for learning so we've talked about poor proxies for teaching and now we're going to talk about learning so um, we've got some points here which is uh, students are busy so lots of work is done especially written work doesn't necessarily mean that learning is taking place students are engaged interested motivated students are getting attention feedback and explanations so let's start with those those three there. Um, students being busy, does that mean that they are learning? And I suppose the answer has got to be no, because if you, I just think, you know, if, if you give a student, a, a, you know, the, the, a class, a worksheet and just say, well, work through that, they might be able to, to give that a really good go and complete it to a reasonable standard based on, Copying information down from their books, or um, simply by having a go at, at figuring out what is required from the questions, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they understand the work that's being done. In which case, just because they're busy beavering away at a worksheet or um, producing a piece of writing, or you know, answering a question that you've given them, does that? How do we know if they're actually learning? And I suppose that's when your feedback comes in, doesn't it? You know, that's when your effective questioning. You ask them about their knowledge and you ascertain what they understand. And then you give them feedback to reinforce their understanding or to address their misconceptions. And then the cycle starts again where they address the errors that they've made or they make improvements on the work that they've done. Um, The next one was students are engaged and interested motivated this reminded me of an anecdote again that my um a colleague that i work with gave me where he was he was talking about how he he really fondly remembers his french teacher not because he learned any french but because this teacher was a huge rugby fan an ex-rugby player and he, he he spent most of his lessons talking about rugby and sports so the class were, in, were very engaged, very interested, very motivated, but they didn't learn very much of what they were there to learn. So I suppose that's a, a great example. You know, we all have that fond memory of a teacher who we really liked, um, but and, and we and because we knew we were going to go to their lessons, and you you, you could set them off on a subject um, that was interested in them, and away they'd go, and you wouldn't actually have to do very much work which looking back on it now you think oh it was a bit of a wasted opportunity as a more mature you know grown-up person but at the time you thought those that teacher was fantastic so I suppose that's a a brilliant example of how students can be engaged without actually learning anything um, other than about rugby I suppose in that circumstance Um, and again students getting attention and feedback explanations but are you feeds into what we were talking about before with effective teaching. It's not effective if you simply talk at them and explain to the point where you're actually telling them what to do or giving them the answers. And whilst students will probably sit and listen quite happily to that and respond to that, they're not really required to actually employ any you know, cognitive effort um, because you're telling them everything that they need to know. So I think that's an important one to think about as well. The next one was if the classroom is ordered calm under control. Yeah, and again, there's a lot of emphasis placed on behaviour management, isn't there? Where, you you know, ideally you want, do we want an entirely silent classroom? And we mentioned teacher tap earlier, but, you know, we were talking about um, teacher tap actually did a a survey. They got a lot of attention on Twitter, which was the level of chat that teachers find acceptable in their class. And the idea is, is that in theory, you want an entirely silent room um, and and most um, learning takes place when students are quiet because they are better able to listen. And the teacher tap survey actually showed that quite a lot of there was an unusually high proportion of teachers who were quite happy to have a low level of chat in their classroom. And I think I remember actually hitting that option myself. Because I actually do like to have a bit of chatter in the classroom, um, provided that it is on task. So if I've asked for silent work, but then I overhear a couple of students who are, who are quietly talking to one another, and I can hear that they are talking about the work, or one student has turned to the person next to them and asked them a question about, you know, is... is is that the bit we need to be focusing on does that word mean this um, that to me i think that's excellent i am more than happy to have that you know tell you know prove me wrong but i stand by that i think i think as long as the students are talking about the work i think that is an important cognitive process because it's helping them process what they're learning and by, you know That's why we do think per share, isn't it? Because we want the students to talk to each other about what they're learning because the act of talking it through helps them to understand what they're doing and it helps them to develop their ideas. So just because a, a class is quiet doesn't mean that they're learning. And I think as well, in, in in the same way that we've all got that rowdy, noisy class that you're constantly trying to get to be quiet... You've also some, you know, you're also faced sometimes with a class of really quiet students and you feel like it's an effort just to get them to answer any question. Um, And they will quite happily just sit in silence in front of you for 50 minutes or an hour or however long, however long your lesson is. And that is just as problematic as having the noisy class. Um, So, yeah, definitely just because they're quiet doesn't mean it's going well from a, a learning point of view now i've just noticed the time i'm just going to pause there uh take a breath while i play the adverts again and then we'll be back to um, carry on working through proxies for
2: learning are you looking to take your phonics practice forward then little wandle letters and sounds revised is the program for you created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics little wandle letters and sounds revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk Teachers Talk Radio is delighted to support Winston's Wish, The UK's childhood bereavement charity. Winston's Wish supports children and their families after the death of a parent or sibling. They provide emotional and practical bereavement support. Expert teams also provide online resources, specialist publications and training for professionals. Find out more about Winston's Wish and pledge your support at www.winstonswish.org.
1: Hello again, and welcome back. Thank you to everyone who supported the show this evening. Thank you for texting in. Um, we've got a few listeners tonight. Thank you very much for joining us and giving up your Sunday, or at least, you know, maybe you've got us on in the background while you're doing your meal prep for the week. Either way, uh, much your support is much appreciated. Um, so yeah, we, we've been talking talk this evening about a lot of things, and I think I've just i have skimmed over the surface of a lot of it. Um, but actually, it's, it's, it's a lot to cover in an hour and a half. Um, and I think the the outcome is, is that for as as a early career teacher, you can be bombarded with so many um, expectations. And I think a lot of them you place upon yourself to feel like you're achieving something. And and I think there, there definitely is that trap of when you've got a room full of students who are who are doing everything you hope they will you know they're answering questions they're getting involved they're they're they seem happy with with what you're doing they seem to be enjoying it um but they're also there's no behavioral issues and you know you as as a as a new teacher you're just happy that you don't have to deal with any adverse behavior and that the students seem to be enjoying themselves but i suppose that is that represents that next step in your journey to improve as a teacher once you start to reflect and go okay so we've got that nice atmosphere in the room um the students you know have, you know we've got that good first impression you've made as a teacher now how do i translate that into effective learning um and that has to be an ongoing process doesn't it and, and i think it's just the the takeaway from from for this when i was reading through these articles the takeaway for me is to not expect to achieve all of this within the first year of teaching and um within uh even within the first several years of teaching there's there's got to be that continuous learning process on the part of both students and teacher if we are going to make sure that we are the most effective educators that we can be um I would highly recommend you look up the the work that I've quoted this evening. Um, So again, the uh, Robert Coe um, Center for Evaluation and Monitoring through Durham University, What Makes Great Teaching, it's ibo.org, that's where it is uh, available. Um, I will post some of these, it might be an idea to post some of these on Twitter, if that would be helpful for anyone. Um, But it's just a, a really great overview of what great teaching looks like and how we know if we are emulating the skills and strategies that make for a great teacher and things that we we think we already know and we already rely on but are we actually looking at that through a reflective lens and thinking is this actually working for my class? Um, Is this making me the most effective teacher I could be? And we were saying, um, I, I do think that is an interesting question as well. To think that as you gain experience, is there a tendency of more experienced educators to stop reflecting on how they can improve or if something is working because it's they found it to be they found it to be effective in the past, therefore there is the assumption that it will continue to be effective into the future. Um, and I hope um, that as a teacher. I will always, I, I would always strive to maintain that attitude of constantly learning. You don't, you don't necessarily have to, um, it might be that you you look around and think, well, actually, no, I, I do still think that what I'm doing is effective. You know, the results speak for, uh, for my input, if you like, the, the feedback I'm getting from students, the effect, the results I'm getting in the class. Fantastic if that's the case, but the, the, the point is you have to have that period of reflection. You have to periodically just stop and check, is this working? And if it is, why is it working? What is What about it is effective so that it's it's those things that you can carry on doing? And if it isn't working, why not? How do I tweak it and how do I make it better? Um, oh, we've just got a question in the studio um, from Laura Dickey, um, a question about bad references as a teacher. And safeguarding um yeah laura what's your question do you want to we've we've only got a few minutes left so perhaps if you want to text in with your question and we'll put that out to the audience um oh right okay we've got someone calling in so we just hello laura can you hear me hi yeah can you hear me yes i can welcome to the show how can we help
5: hi so I don't know if this has happened to anybody else but i got like a really bad reference from the old school that i used to work in oh right Um, and it's lost me a position at a new school um i read the reference like they sent it to me and it's basically it basically said that i shouldn't work with students
2: right
5: Um, that's hence why i put in the and the safeguarding is it, I don't know if anybody else has experienced it, but as a teacher or someone who works in education I feel like to say those kind of statements you would have had to have sort of warnings or at least um you know verbal or written. Yeah,
1: how long were you at school for? Uh,
5: Two years
1: Right uh, so and, and what was your, what was your role? were you, um, were you sort of a, a fully qualified experienced teacher when you started working for the school?
5: No, so I was what uh, they called a graduate boarding assistant, so I'd just come out of university. right um, with no experience of children or like teaching in any way. So uh, two days a week, I was in SEN in my first year and then last year, two days a week, I was in cover.
1: Right. So so I take it you, you sort of trained at the school, um, essentially, we, that has then given you this reference?
5: Yeah, I mean, tra- training is a noose word, sort of, you just net loose. Right. Had three, we had three CPD days before um, we were let loose on the kids. Right. That part And that like cover is hard, and obviously last year with Covid was hard. Um, yeah. It's just knowing what to do moving forward because obviously that reference has cost me a job. But yeah, it sounds silly. My understanding is, I maybe wasn't, you know, always like maybe I said the odd wrong thing to the children. Like if I was annoyed, I'd just be like, "Oh, just shut up" or something. But I, I don't feel. <laughs> yeah,
1: like no. It that. it was it a special needs school or or were you just working no,
5: in, in with the SEN
1: department? No, it was just
5: a state boarding school
1: um yeah i was right just with the scn department okay and presumably you, you feel that it's it what's been said is unfair as well like you feel you could defend the fact that you know they've, they've yeah. possibly blown it out of proportion or well
5: i also feel like it it makes me worried that someone has said i would not employ her in a student-facing role
1: yeah that would be an enormous worry wouldn't it yeah, yeah. well i i mean just, just from a, a, a fairness point of view, um, I've got Emma Williams, who is a really experienced teacher, and she's she's a fellow um, host on Teachers Talk Radio. She's kindly texted and said, "Definitely contact your union or EdPat for legal advice." Which are you? Are you a member of a union?
5: I'm afraid not, just because of how it worked in the school. We weren't. Yeah, I didn't really look into it, and now I'm not working in the school, so I can't join. Really. Right right which is my own which is my own cine fault
1: yeah yeah it's it, but but it's one of those things how would you know if if you've if you're brand yeah. new and you haven't been given this advice yeah it, it's very it, it's you're in a really difficult position i'm so sorry um emma said it's called ed apt so E D A P T. um they give legal advice to teachers so yeah i mean def i, I can only speak from Personal experience of in my previous life, if you like, um, mm. I was an employer. Um, only that it's it's extremely bad form to give a negative reference. Um, I know it's and, and it's just you know for that reason because you're potentially getting in the way of somebody's future career prospects. As I know it's different in in teaching, but I would have thought that if the school had genuine concerns. With you as a teacher, that that should have been brought up long before you well, came this, to leave the school. Well, the, uh,
5: this is the point that I sort of thought that these concerns, if I was not safe to be around students, it should be a verbal or written warning, or you, somebody who had my position was asked to leave the school and they were sort of pushed rather than. Yeah. Show me. Well, pushed before they were force out yeah I think also it's just really disappointing because I I do suffer with mental illness Mm. um and I just got myself a little admin role working with SEN students um and that's what my previous school have said is that because of my mental illness I'm not um I would not cope with it
1: well, quite frankly, I, I don't think you need to be an educator to, to think to hear that and think that sounds very much like discrimination. Um, yeah, you know, and
5: especially because it sounds silly, but it's something that I've been uh, like working on. It's not because, unfortunately, it was misdiagnosed when I was working. Yeah. And for the past four months, I've been, you know, trying to work on it, and it's why I sort of stayed out of education for a little while just to get yeah. myself better. Yeah. But also, it then. It sounds awful. Like I thought that actually it is good that there's something wrong because you can understand those students so much better. You can understand the thoughts and feelings that they're going through a bit more. Well, isn't that exactly
1: why we have SEND departments in school now? Because once a, a child has been diagnosed with a with a you know a learning difficulty or a um, a mental you know a mental health condition, the school can properly support them. So the same logic must therefore apply to teachers as well. And a school should be should know better than to you know fail to support one of their teachers and then wonder why something goes wrong. But I mean, I, I wish, you, I hope, I hope you have um, you know all the luck in the world to you trying to get it sorted. I would I would definitely look into Emma's suggestion of EDAPT to get some legal advice because
5: okay. it yeah. does
1: sound as though I, I would assume it sound, it sounds to me as though the school just simply have not followed any disciplinary procedure. Um, because if they yeah. had concerns they should have raised those with you and they should they have an obligation to help you address those issues. Well
5: it's and, not only it's
1: sorry, it's not only yeah, that yeah. Though, it's
5: if, they're, if they if there were concerns about me and my conduct with the students, yeah. why has this been allowed to happen to student like do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. If if
1: there was a genuine concern, they should have removed you from the students when they did, not not waited until you've left and then written you a terrible you know, a, a poor reference. Yeah.
5: Is it so it makes me laugh as well. Sorry, I ran a little when we were year group bubbles. I ran a little uh, year seven mythology club. Yeah. Uh, the head teacher's daughter attended it. Yeah. So obviously I was fine for that. But also one of the SEN uh, children attended it as well. Um, and the SEN department actually had uh, emailed me to say thank you. This is the only club that he comes out of the SEN department for. And because they were partially cited, I printed off what was on my screen for them ahead of time. Yeah. Um, so that's the other thing when they say you can't cope with SCN. It's like, but uh, I don't know.
1: No, I think, I think there's, there's definitely something that doesn't sound quite right here. And, you know, that, that to me, you know, you, you, that must be evidence in your favor that you're getting feedback like that and the school you know yeah, if, I, if you're going to take this forward if you're going to approach somebody for legal advice that is going to surely work well in your favor i'm sorry i can't give you any more advice no, than that, no, that but was it. it
5: was it's not even that it's just a lot of people have been giving me conflicting advice which is yeah is it worth pursuing legally or is it worth just leaving and saying, oh well that was a
1: rubbish Yeah, like, it's really difficult it is well there's also i know um teaching we you know specifically has unions but it might be worth a call to acas as well because at the end of the day it's still an employer um yeah. even though it's specific in education and, and all employers have to adhere to the same rules um that that we have in in the uk when it comes to how we treat our employers employees so all the very best laura and i hope you yeah. get sorted with that thank you so much no worries okay take care Thank you. Bye. Okay. Well, thank you very much for calling in, Laura. I hope we've been able to help you there, but um, yeah, we've, we've overran, so I'm going to have to close off very quickly. Thank you all very much for listening, and for those of you listening back on the podcast, thank you um, for taking the time to download, and I hope you enjoy it, and we'll see you next week.
0: You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio.